0: He told the first promise uh, leadership. We, I think, he always said we. We want you to select bishops, three bishops. We want you to get a constitution drafted and canons drafted for a new North American province. That was 1999.
1: <laughs> Welcome to the Stand Firm podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and today's episode is going to prove that we read your emails and that we're committed to giving the people what they want. After last week's episode with Dr. John Schuler dropped, our inbox exploded with demands that we get him back to finish his story. After all, Dr. Schuler, you went right up to the year 2000, the making of three bishops, and the division that began to rise between, as you called them, the Anglican mission and the world of Bob Duncan. Now, unfortunately, we don't have JD with us this week. It's his turn to be on the road, but I'm here with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and we are excited to welcome back to Stand Firm the Reverend Dr. John Schuler, global leader of NAMS and current interim rector, of Christ the King Grace Church in Pauley's Island, South Carolina. Great to have you back, Dr. Schuler.
0: Hey, Nick and Matt. It's wonderful to be with you. Absolutely wonderful.
1: So if you haven't heard the first part of the story, go listen to episode 88 of the Stand Firm podcast. But we're going to jump right into part two now. We're telling the origin story of the ACNA. And it's, oh, let's say it's 1998, 1999. What's going on? Where are you, Dr. Schuler? And what happens
0: next? All right. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a fact that renewal of various kinds was going on in the Episcopal Church uh, all through the 60s, 70s, and 80s. There were forces that were seeking change. Um, some of them thought of making new what is old and grown old, but it's just there. It's just clean it up and, and dust it off. Others were having lots of new ideas that to some were strange for Anglicans. So there were lots of streams going on. But what gradually coalesced, it seems to me, in the 80s was anyone with any concept of orthodoxy was getting worried. Um, And so by the late 90s, that worry had become acute in lots and lots of places. And First Promise had formed as a coalition of rectors um, who thought we would be able, foolishly, (laughs) who thought we would be, and I wasn't a rector, I was simply a facilitating part of it as because I had an office for my missionary society here in Pauly's Island. And um, so when when that happened, when we took that stand and we made a very bold stand, I think even now, if you read the First Promise document, you could say, wow, I mean, these guys put their necks on the line. I don't think we realized how much we put our necks on the line. Because within a week or two, um, several of the guys got deposed. I mean, literally were, were deposed as priests um, because they had signed a document and were accused of abandoning the communion of the church.
2: I, I heard that from the last show and I was thinking, you know, so because you said you you tried to find, uh, at first, the idea was 50 rectors who were. Yeah, we got, we were, got 28. 20, yeah, 28. Um, Did
0: it just turn out that they weren't as safe as they thought they were is that absolutely. Absolutely. I think we all had an imaginary understanding that we were in the Episcopal Church of our fathers, Um, you know, in the Episcopal Church of the generation that I grew up in, unless you were accused and found guilty of immorality or heresy when you were a settled priest in a parish, you were were pretty untouchable. Um, And nobody ever wanted to have a heresy trial, even when we needed to have them. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so, you know, every once in a while, guys would disappear, and lies would be told from the diocesan headquarters about what had happened. Uh, um, But, you know, they almost always got in the wrong bed. But, so, we we thought we were way more secure than we were, but there'd been canonical change, and you could be deposed for breaking a rubric, um, it turned out, <laughs> let alone, yeah. you know, signing a document that you were going to disobey your bishop if he asked you to do something that was contrary to the doctrine, discipline, and worship of Christ. Go figure, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, which we had all promised, even the bishops, in the ordination of the priesthood. So, Yeah, six or seven guys got deposed in a real hurry, particularly a batch of them down in the Gulf Coast. Um, And um, one of the key signatories removed his name um, from the thing. But unfortunately, the email world had begun in 97. (laughs) It was not anything like it came to be, but that list with his name on it got out there. And I think if you it still pops up sometimes, the original signatories have his name on there. Mm-hmm. But he perceived how deep the, the trouble we were in was and wanted out of that at that time. So out of that moment, almost every, orth- every group that thought of itself as orthodox, which was an undefined word then and now, uh, really, but every group that thought of itself as Orthodox that did not like what was happening, they were encouraged by this crazy bunch of clergy taking this stand. And um, at first, the people who are really politicians and not Christians, but happen to belong to the church. <laughs> <laughs> You know, those people immediately saw us as uh, a critical constituency for a significant change, and we got quickly sucked in to um, a group of, of people identifying themselves as Episcopalians who really were very conservative. I don't like the phrase right wing, but they were very, very conservative politically, and they just saw... They could get some some mileage. And that that drew us all up short really fast. And we cut those cords as fast as we realized what was happening. But the various renewal groups, from, from the most evangelical, charismatic, to the most, you know, forward in faith Anglo-Catholic side of things reached out to us. And um, we created it's really Chuck Murphy, who was the rector of All Saints at the time. He He called, he he said, let's get these leaders together. And they created what was called the First Promise Roundtable. And so we began to have regular meetings of the leaders of these various groups uh, Anglican Communion Council or or some kind of AAC. Uh, John Rogers had been a part of starting a group of separated Episcopal churches that still wanted to somehow hold on to their Anglican heritage, I think that was called the Association of Anglican Churches on Mission, ACOM, First Promise, um, NAMS was invited to the table, SAMS was invited to the table, Forward in Faith was invited, and, and so there began to be a series of meetings that have left records. I, It's amazing to me how easily people forget, but and those those conversations were facilitated by Chuck Murphy, uh, who was a natural leader and a gifted leader. And so we began to go, okay, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna how are we gonna go forward? Meanwhile, because First Promise had several bishops directly involved in it, but kind of hiding in the shadows. The former bishop of South Carolina, Fitz Allison and the retired Bishop of West Tennessee, Alec Dixon, particularly, they were very, very involved. And then soon thereafter, William Wantland, who was then the Bishop of Eau Claire, got involved. So we were getting a lot of input from these three old bishops who had been in the battle inside of the the House of Bishops. And um, one thing led to another, And we just kept hitting walls, and we had a meeting in Atlanta in 98, January of 98. John Rogers called it together, and all kinds of people showed up for that meeting, and um, um, nobody knew what to do next. Everybody was stumped. We were were hitting huge opposition uh, from people we thought were our friends, and many of whom we thought were Orthodox conservative believers. And... And um, it was suggested at that it was suggested at that Atlanta meeting in January that we they send three bishops to Singapore to meet with the Archbishop of of Southeast Asia, who was known to be a, a fighter and a strong uh, man. And so that was decided that night or that day that that three bishops would go. It turned out to be Allison Dixon. I think it was Wantland if I'm not mistaken. It was Wantland, Dixon, and Allison. And I ended up going as a as a suitcase carrier. I was the one priest, and the four of us went to Singapore. And that's when Moses Tay took me in to the province as a priest, and my I said a little of that. Now, out of that suddenly came a connection with a primate, an archbishop, who immediately put those three bishops in contact with other archbishops and the idea formed of grad of getting the primates together in singapore for an emergency meeting um and so um, um there there was an emergency meeting back in singapore in early 99 um was the perceived out-
1: emergency just that the episcopal church was off the precipice at this point
0: Yeah. That that there was was no turning back, that the truth of the gospel was at stake, that leadership to do anything about it had not emerged and was not going to emerge. I mean, that was the conviction, that um, if we don't do something, nothing will ever happen. I don't think anyone at the time was yet thinking of the way things unfolded. I think they really thought the majority of the Anglican world would understand what was going on and would want to bring godly discipline back into the family in some way. Of course, in a way that had never been there, which proved to be a problem and is a problem still. Um, but so somewhere in there, it it was decided at that Singapore meeting to have another meeting there. I think there were seven primates represented at, at the Singapore meeting in April of of that year, and they decided to meet again in the fall in East Africa, and to bring the African, all the primates together. And I, that's one meeting I was not present at, um, uh, but that happened um, in late 98, or, or maybe early 99. And from that, a number of things started happening. Um, the primate of, of Rwanda, Emmanuel Kalini, and the primate of Uganda, whose name escapes me at the moment, um, and and Archbishop Moses. Um, the three of them formed a kind of triad, and they began to plan for another meeting in East Africa in November of 99. Was that Henry Arambi back then? Uh, Henry was not the primate then. Okay. Um, Henry, a dear man and a wonderful brother, um, would be primate. About 203, 2003, 2003 okay. something like that. Anyway, um, I'm probably, you know, the historian in me would be very appalled at the <laughs> transcript of this, probably, how to footnote it, because I probably made some mistakes. But what happened in secret that no one knew was that Kalini and Tay um, and the other guy, uh, the Ugandan, thought a new province needed to be formed. That North America wow. was a lost cause, and waiting on Canterbury was a lost cause, and um, and Kalini came to the fore. Not because he made himself uh, in charge, but but they all, they all began to see in Collini's g- courage, his bravery through the genocide, all these different things. He came to the fore, but he was not persuaded. That things could be as bad as they were. So he came to the United States for thirty days, and he traveled around, and the, the PB of America took him to every revisionist diocese in the country <laughs> and tried to tell him that it was ordinary, and it was this great. Right? <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, and and of course, with his African eyes and his spiritual discernment and his faith, he saw right through it. And so, boy, he was when he came out of that visit, he told the first promise uh, leadership. I want you to. I want you to uh, select bishops. We. I think he always said we. We want you to select bishops, three bishops. We want you to get a constitution drafted and canons drafted for a new North American province. That was 1999. That's amazing. That's that was. I. I mean, I think
2: when we when the I remember leaving the Episcopal Church in 2007, and I heard whispers about the possibility of a new province. I mean, we we were talking about it, of course, but. Um, but I had no idea that it was, that it was that early, that early. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. And of course the, the, the continuum as it used to be called, you know, the, the, the splintering that had been happening for a couple of decades had produced all these little tiny Anglican Episcopal offshoots. And, and there were probably conversations among them as well, I'm sure about, somehow getting together they they were just fighting like cats and dogs they could not agree at that time but so here's here's where the story gets funnier and funnier to me i can laugh now i've cried but i can laugh now um so all the clergy that were still standing in the first promise elected three bishops three men to, to be put forward and um and I got asked to be on a committee to, to develop a constitution and canons with John Rogers and William Beasley. William was in Chicago. William had been an early lever. I mean, he, he left the Diocese of Griswold ahead of all of us, and, but, but he never wanted to stop being an Anglican. And he had linked up with John Rogers to form ACOM. So William Beasley and Schuler, we flew to Pittsburgh to Amherst to meet with John and kind of thrash out for a week, kind of the rough outline of a constitution and canons. And John Rogers had already written it. I mean, it, it was it was it was fait accompli. I mean, there it was. <laughs> I, I, I remember I remember thinking at the time because I've always liked John Rogers, but I never had to work really closely with him. <laughs> and I And I and I and I thought, well, I mean, he's my senior. Uh, he's a retired dean of the seminary. He's a great guy. He's a good theologian. We'll tweak it. So we tweaked it. <laughs> we, 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 we tweaked it for the next few days. Um, and uh, while we were there in Ambridge at his house, um, I, this, uh, this is John Rogers. If you, you ever hear this, <laughs> you know, I love you too. I've had to say that more than once. That's, right. but, um, That's how you know the podcast is getting good. Listen, we, we we we. John Rogers had a house. The basement of the house was a dry, I don't very dry basement. He had his stacks down there. He had like the stacks of a major institution of books in his library. I mean, really narrow stacks, and uh, so we were down there seeing his library, and he had a little working desk when he would be down there, and there was a letter lying open on his desk, and as he and Beasley went past the desk, I saw the letter, and I stopped and started to read it, because it was just laying there open. And it was from Bishop David Pitches uh, in England, who had been a bishop in Chile, and was now a rogue rector in England, starting new churches that were crossing parish boundaries. And I had known him a little, and so the letter intrigued me. And at the, at the end of his letter, he said it was to John. And he said, by the way, John, if they ever want to make you a bishop, I want to be there to lay hands on you. Hmm. And um, also at that conversation, John Rogers said to me that he thought Moses Tay had begun a new Anglican Reformation. By mm-hmm. his stand in 1997 in Kuala Lumpur, uh, when they dis, they they dis, they said, we are not in fellowship with any other province that does not uphold these orthodox points, mm-hmm. kind of the Jerusalem statement in mm-hmm. effect, 97. So, those two things, Moses Tay, New Anglican Reformation, David pitches consecrations, um, and province... Maybe a province, right? So then we go to, to East Africa. We met in Kampala, Uganda, and it was a big meeting, a major, major meeting in November of 99. But the Africans had made an, a, an agreement among themselves. They would not take a stand, a bold stand, if they were not unanimous. Mm-hmm. It's very African. And the Archbishop of Canterbury, George Carey, heard what was going on. He, I don't know how, but he knew this meeting was about to happen. He had been trying to, to get Kalini and Tay to stand down. He had intimidated Uganda to stand down, but Tay and Kalini were not. And so this primates meeting was going forward. And so he recruited the Archbishop of the Southern Cone, George Carey had recruited the, 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 the primate of the Southern Cone to be his voice in that meeting. And he opposed every move that was made in that week in Kampala to do something specific, to do something concrete. It was a tumultuous meeting. Bob Duncan was there. Jim Stanton was there. I think maybe John Howe, but I'm not positive. There was a third. There were three bishops with jurisdiction who came to that meeting, and the First Promise sent five of us. There were five of us First Promise leaders there, John Rogers, me, uh, Jeff Chapman from Swickley, Chuck Murphy, T.J. Johnston. Um, there, There might be one or two more. And sometimes they let the presbyters be in there, and other times they had the presbyters leave. And I don't know if they ever had the American bishops leave or not. But I was there when Bob Duncan said to them, I think with tears, um, we can't fix ourselves. Um, you have to come and help us. Um, and everybody in that room that I knew thought we, and we were like this with Jim Stanton and Bob Duncan. We, we had no sense that we were going down two paths at all. But when they finally shooed us out, and so we never were a part of what happened next, they could not agree. Um, there, was a, there clearly was expressed a desire uh, to consecrate bishops and begin a new work in North America, but they could not agree. And it ended, it, it, we saw some of the acrimony, but not all of it. It ended quite unpleasantly, and, but it ended and Kalini and Moses Tay were walking back to the, co- to the uh, hotel together. And instead of taking the elevator, it's not a big hotel, maybe five stories, they decided to walk up the, the stairwell. And somewhere, one of those landings, they stopped. And they just kept talking. And, Kalini, and, and and Moses Tay said to Kalini, he always called him his last name, he said, Kalini, if, if you and me don't do something no one ever will i'll offer my cathedral in january and we'll go ahead and consecrate bishops and we'll get uganda with us and so that was in no no one was there there's not a record of that that's the truth but it it, it i have it both from kalini's mouth and from Te's mouth but it it happened and so they came out of that kampala thing they were going to Jerusalem. They set their face to this. They were going to do it no matter what. And um, I flew from that conference to Singapore, where there was an international conference of the Holy Spirit, uh, sponsored by a ministry called SOMA, sharing our ministries abroad or something like that. And when I walked into the, the, uh, the, the church, we were in a big church that, that had bought a movie theater, a very Singaporean. So it was just like walking into a giant auditorium, really. When I came through the door, one of the priests of, of the Diocese of Singapore, a venerable priest and a canon of their diocese, saw me come through the door, came straight to me, and he said, I hear Moses is going to make you a bishop. Now, up till the Kampala meeting, we had been asked to tell no one what we were doing. <laughs> And so, how that guy, a day or two after the Kampala meetings, heard that something was happening and bishops were going to be made, and I was one of the three, I had no idea. But it it caught me very off guard. I'm not, I don't hide, I'm very transparent as a person to my detriment, usually. Um, But I said, you know, Canon Wong, that. you know <laughs> no, so I'm like <laughs> and he is who are the others who are the others Yeah, you know, and and I just but he but he knew he had me and um how I don't know while I was in that conference the church times of london printed an article saying that it was going to happen and three people were going to be made bishops but the name the only name that was public was john shuler the head of nams so then I had to deal with all my brothers who thought I had blabbed. I hadn't blabbed at all. But but now, it was in the English news that there was going to be something in Singapore, and bishops were going to be made. So, all forces went to work to stop it. Um, it, Unbelievable how, how much started happening. But it moved on, and Allison and Dixon Um, were definitely a part of it. They invited David Pitches to come. They invited um, several of the primates uh, who decided not to come. But Uganda sent a bishop on his behalf. He did not come, but he sent. So, one of the consecrating bishops was a a Ugandan there with his archbishop's permission. But I didn't go. Uh, So much started happening around my name that it became expedient that one man die, that the others might live. And I, I did not go. So my name slips out of the record and, and, and out of all that, but you can see how intensely involved I was. And um, that, that John Rogers charter, Constitution and Canons, probably it'd be a fun research project for somebody someday to look at that. Cause I got a copy of it uh, to look at that and what actually happened. In 2009 and and just 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 see you know how Could you send me that, that? <laughs> could you send me that i would love to look at that i don't have awesome. it i don't yeah. have a digital uh, okay i have a, a three ring binder oh okay wow okay yeah <laughs> it's but, carved in
1: letters on stone <laughs> but matt
0: matt if you get c- too cold in binghamton i mean you you come visit us we got a lovely, we got a lovely guest room down here I'll, I'll get you as a guest preacher you can Come and visit. I would yeah. love to. I would love to. Let's let's do that. So so um, that's a whole other story of how uh, I stepped aside, and I did it on behalf of the of the well being of the whole, at the time. And I don't repent. Uh, there were times when I felt I, I made a mistake, but I I don't repent at all. I thank God that I was not made one of the bishops. Um, but once the bishops were made, everything was different. It was almost like until the 29th of september of january 2000 there were these dozen mature presbyter clergy that were a con, a kind of compact of conversation and prayer and decision and suddenly bishops were everything was bishops bishops everything was bishops and the presbyters would hear about it it was like it was like we ceased to be in any way contributing to the leadership. And that was worrisome to me. I thought that was a, a real mistake. Um, but the, the world of Episcopal leaders sort of were swirling around this, and they were, who was going to be willing to be identified with Chuck and who wasn't, who was going to stand with Rogers and who wasn't. And there, was, there were lots of Episcopalians who are now in Acna, and many of them bishops now, who thought it was a premature act, it was a hurtful thing, it had not helped us, and there was enmity uh, about what happened. Yeah, right I, on, I remember. Really from the very
2: beginning, even in the year 2000. I, I, in, again, I told you last, last time I was in seminary during this time, and of course all of the the professors and admin made very Clear to us students that this was a horrible thing, systematic. But there were there was a, a very tiny group of court, conservative uh, students um, that I, I, I uh, interacted. You remember with Dan
0: Alger? Do you remember Dan Alger?
2: The name is, I know Dan. Right. He's in my okay, diocese. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Dan, Dan left Trinity. He he was so upset that Trinity wasn't supporting the English mission. Yeah, he he left without finishing his degree his degree. And then I helped him. Gosh, it was not wise, but I helped him start a church. (laughs) I think he was 23 years old or something. Well, that's the thing, because because I remember the the argument being, you know,
2: nothing nothing expressly heterodox has taken place yet. No no one has there are people in the Episcopal church who are heretics. There are people who are immoral, you know, immoral, there but, are but, liars, but, but there the are doctrine, liars, but the doctors and deceivers right, right, right. in the right. house
0: of bishops, but right. nothing really serious is The doctrine, the doc, <laughs> that line was
2: the doctrine of the church has not changed. So we don't need to this. This was, this was precipitous. This was, this is no one should have yeah. taken this step.
0: And it, it, there's very little doubt that you could make a case that it, it was precipitous, but something, when there's a crisis always is precipitous something precipitates change and and the, the the things that happened changed everything because all other attempts prior to that had really not dented the demon they not really knocked the, the the teeth out of the monster at all it was just, it would absorb it and kind of work around it and stuff. but th- now we were in a whole new deal and it got it got pretty interesting pretty fast and at this time in all the intimate council, all the intimate meetings, no one is being excluded. The First Promise Roundtable continued. Enormous amounts of money were raised from the zip code that I live in to buy tickets and, and hotel rooms. And it was, there was a major investment in us staying together who considered ourselves orthodox. Um, and at some point, um, uh, relatively early on, there was a Billy Graham organization had a global meeting for evangelists in Amsterdam. I, I don't know its date, but it could be 2000 or very early 2001. And a bunch of our people were going to be there. Uh, Tay was going to be there. Kalini was going to be there. Um, actually, not Tay, his successor uh, ping, uh, young ping chong uh, was going to be there bob duncan was going to be there and the world's anglicans that were evangelical were there but there were it was a, it was an ecumenical meeting well at that at that if I, if god would let me be at one meeting i missed it would be i would be a fly on the wall of the amsterdam meeting at the amsterdam meeting it was agreed that the anglican mission would lead those who, who left or were leaving and Bob would continue to give leadership to those who were staying in for the time being. So, there was an agreement that there would be a kind of inside strategy and an outside strategy, but it was understood to be one strategy. And it was especially understood to be one strategy by Collini, Tay, and Young, the three wow. archbishops. Now, Tay by then is a retired bishop, and so he's truly not a. I mean, he stays a bishop until he dies, but he's archbishop in, as an office. But he was there, and I'll never stop thinking of him as Archbishop Moses. But so their understanding was they had a unanimous agreement uh, among the three archbishops, Chuck Murphy, John Rogers, and Bob Duncan, that um, we were working together for a common outcome. And um, and then somewhere along, Bob formed Anglican Communion Network, ACN, I think. And, and so that became, if you get involved in that, you're still inside the Episcopal Church, but you're hanging out with all the conservatives. You're, you're, you know, you're, and I think that happened in 2001 or 2002, right around in there somewhere. And then there's the Great Consecration in New Hampshire in 2003, yeah. um, which, which was like the, the, the bridge too far, finally, for a whole bunch of people. But by that time, this distinction had come very clearly. And the easiest way to describe it, I think, is to imagine it printed. If you print Anglican in lowercase and Mission in uppercase, you had the Anglican Mission. And if you printed Anglican uppercase and mission in lowercase, you had the ACNA, ACN. And if, if you ask yourself, who's willing to reexamine almost everything we do? Those guys were on the mission side. If, and you're like, we just want what we had back, but we want Orthodox leaders. You were on the ACN side. So, it, it, it's very similar, from my historian's perspective, to what happened in the Reformation. You know, bef- before, before the splits really started happening, there were an awful lot of people that knew the Roman Catholic Church needed Reformed, but they didn't like the way it started getting Reformed. And so, they, they developed the, the, what we now know as the Counter-Reformation. I believe the ACNA is the Counter-Reformation inside of the anglican family you mean the anglican Union network is that yeah. the ac, AC, well, not, AC not, not, acn, no. ACN right. becomes the arena around the bishop of pittsburgh where alternate ways of seeing what's going on start having traction conversations outside of the meetings that we're all in um personality differences um dislikes old wounds all kinds of stuff begins to happen, Um, because Chuck is very much the leader. I mean, when the first promise meets, he's often funded three-fourths of the people in the room to get to the dagon meeting. But but there starts to be a tension, a very demonstrable tension between Bob Duncan and Chuck Murphy. And and in the Amsterdam meeting, as I'm reliably uh, told, Bob had used the language of James of Jerusalem and Paul the Apostle. A bad, if that's truly something that Bob came up with, it, it came back to bite him pretty hard. But, but so the idea was there's like this Pauline mission, and that's the Anglican mission, and then there are those of us still in Jerusalem. And um, the first time I ever heard that described in words, I, I went to the to the man that said it and said don't say that anymore that don't don't say that and he, but it was bob duncan's idea i said i don't care if it was bob you got to not say that because it's not positive it's not a wise it's not wise right and for all kinds of reasons it's not wise <laughs> but it it was it was loose it was like the chicken got out of the hen house and um but but we could see who were sensitive to personality issues. I, I mean, I remember I remember the. Um... I'm sorry to be saying this. Chuck's dead. Bob's no, well, no. Bob's <laughs> no. well alive. I, this is, this he, is the... he knows it's true. And and Bob is my friend.
2: I love Bob. Duncan. John, this is invaluable. It's very, it's helpful to have this, this this. I mean, I don't I don't know that this has ever been recorded. I don't think so. Or written anywhere. I've so been this, trying to write is... it.
0: I've been trying to write it, but I'm I I keep getting stumped. I don't know if God yeah. wants me to stop.
2: <laughs> well, no, I mean I think this is a uh, this is the kind of thing that you know, thirty or forty years from now, people will be listening to this podcast. I, I have to years. I
0: have to I if God allows I have to get out of myself what I know that is not in the public arena. So here's uh, yeah. here's uh, okay. So I, I was at this time
2: I was a, I was a I was I was installed as rector of Good Shepherd in 2002, uh, December, and Gene Robinson was uh, his election was confirmed in 2003 in August, and I remember I saw the ACN, the Anglican Communion Network, as salvation. Right, I was I was in a very liberal diocese. I mean, the the, the Central New York, which is you know, basically like Newark, and. And so I said, "Okay, I can join this thing. My people won't completely revolt because I had a, a mixed converse- congregation at the time—many, m- many liberals and uh, some, a very few core group of Christians." Well, you had an Episcopal church. I had an Episcopal <laughs> church, right? So, so, so we joined the A.C.N. We ha- when we joined the A.C.N. We had a- it was actually helpful because we had about uh, half of our vestry resign and a good number of people leave, which was great because we, we actually had to have them go. But I, I guess I joined the ACN not thinking of an inside strategy. I joined the ACN thinking, okay, well, here's how we could plant a flag and say we're Orthodox and we're going to stay Orthodox. Um, my bishop, uh, Bishop Skip Adams at the time, it, it was interesting it's, considering the later history, he was, I was a rector, so he had to kind of watch what he did. He, would, he asked my permission to preach. I didn't give it to him. And so he came to visit, and he would sit in the pews, and I would preach to him, which, which, was, which was great. Those days are long Yeah, gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but but anyway, all, all, all I that to say is the ACN, I think, at the beginning, at least for some of us, wasn't, okay, we're going to stay in the Episcopal Church forever. It was, here's this kind of, here's a way that we can begin to move our congregation toward orthodoxy in concert with actual bishops and people who are kind of middle-of-the-road parishioners will see as respectable.
0: Right. Right. Well, you know, I, I, wrote, I wrote, wrote the first draft of the first promise document, and then the brothers tweaked it, but it, it's essentially a, a document that I wrote. And I said in there that we, we, and we all agreed when we signed it, if we could not get an a, Episcopal bishop with jurisdiction to stand with us we would appeal to the Anglican family, and so, um, but we wanted that respectability. We we wanted our heritage. We were not trying to um, undo um, the historical uh, inheritance that we had in Christ as Anglicans at all. But we just felt that we were in this. Uh, If we had to die for the truth or for unity, we wanted to die for both, but we were going to die for the truth if we had to die without the unity and that was kind of where we were. So ACN was important. There were lots of lifeboats at the time different people were finding different ways to somehow not lose their jobs. and um, and 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 navigate the waters but gradually very clearly there there was this separation now at the time as i said i was so involved in everything for 30 odd years and then the moment i did not go to singapore i wasn't involved it it was it was almost like a plug was unplugged Hmm. and i never fell out with anybody i just was no longer I ever in a conversation before a decision was made. And I don't like that. I don't need the decisions to agree with me. I just love to be a part of the of what leads to it, to say, I know how to submit. I, I, I do. I, I'm called to it. It's, it's gospel to those in authority over me. Um, but I was very unhappy with the direction the mission took. Um, I felt like they were To all other human eyes, they were creating a new jurisdiction. They were creating a new church. It was a new denomination. The moment you get Anglican bishops, and they made some more pretty quickly. They made four more in June of 2001. Um, You you do not have a missionary society if you have bishops that are leading it. (laughs) You have... Some kind of church, you know, <laughs> and um I just was growing more and more um, unhappy. But I lived right here, and that was that's not good. So I went to Chuck Murphy. I said, Chuck, I, I'm going to support you. I will be a loyalty. I kept my uh, canonicals. We're still in Asia, and I was still doing NAMs. But I said, we're going to need new churches all over North America. And the best way to do that is to get a healthy one started in every major metropolitan area. Cynthia and I will move somewhere. And and uh, by God's grace, we'll, we'll plant a church that plants churches. We'll get a network of churches going uh, because it, the, the future is, is going to require that. And no one will do it. Cynthia and I will do it. And it'll get me out of your hair. I won't be a, a burr under your saddle. So we moved to Charlotte. And, and started King of Kings. And from that, over the next seven years, started 13 new churches uh, in, in, the, in America while we were still doing the overseas work. And, but it took me out of the day-to-day. Now, I would keep my emails open, and I kept things, and I'd read, and I'd file, and I you know my stack of documents and papers grew. But once we moved to Charlotte um, from then to 2007, I was more an observer than in any way involved. I would show up, whenever invited for the first promise roundtable, because Neams was one of the parties. And I would go whenever Chuck had a clergy meeting, as a friend of the mission, you know. Um, and so in 2006, the, the conversation was brought to the, 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 the Anglican Mission meeting of clergy. Um, that we were going to transition from the way we'd been organized, Anglican mission been organized, to being a missionary society, a, a true sodality, which is what I was leading. NAMS is a sodality. It was born a sodality. It remains a sodality. It's not a rival to the church. It's interior to the church. It's a servant of the church. Sodality is uh, the- a modality is the settled church. It's the parish. It's the diocese. It's the bishop. It's the it's the canons. It's all those pieces. The church on mission, Paul and Silas and Timothy, that's a missionary sodality. That they're they're out to to start the work. They're out there to get the gospel preached and to get the church begun. But once it settles, this is this is ancient missiology myth- terminology. But so. I thought to myself, man, they got, they got almost seven years of running this differently. Um, I don't think they can do that. And it was at that meeting that we were told we were being uh, brought canonically under the canons of the province of Rwanda. Um, and I thought that was a mistake. And I, 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 I had a bit of a blow up in public um, with Chuck. Um, I, 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 I asked if we could see. We were being asked to commit the mission to being under the canons of, of the province of Rwanda, and so I asked, "Can we see them?" <laughs> and I was told by the canon lawyer that was there that they only had them in French. What now? Now, can, what was and, your and I lost back? my i my cap flew off my head <laughs> <laughs> that we were being asked to commit to canonical um, understanding uh, that we had never been able to read or even ask questions about. I a, and I was nervous. I didn't think this transition could work. I I I ended up in that meeting, uh, not losing Chuck as a friend, but um, reminding him why he was glad I wasn't a bishop. Um, when, when I said, Chuck Murphy, if you get in bed with these cannons, you're going to die by these cannons. I think that happened now. Now you, you wanted to ask a question and I'm on a roll again, but I'm sorry. No, I just wanted to ask. I kept kept hearing all this time. I kept hearing there's this Pittsburgh Pauly's Island separation happening. That's getting more and more severe. And I was aware of that. And I was trying to bridge it. I had preached Bob Duncan's consecration as a bishop at his invitation, and considered him a real friend. And Chuck was a real friend, so I did not want to see what was happening. Um, but it was it was way down the road, by two thousand and six, two thousand and seven. You say you
2: were in, before you knew the constitution was in, was in French. You already had a kind of objection to to putting yourself under Rwanda. What was what was what well? Was no,
0: the- it wasn't. Uh, you see, I was under. Uh, the province of Southeast Asia, and mm-hmm. I was quite mm-hmm. content to be held accountable to their constitutional mm-hmm. canons because they were orthodox and and very clear, and they were in English, <laughs> I could read them. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, no, I thought that the the whole way the mission had organized itself was inevitably um, a problem um, because my heart was, how do we take this gospel that's been entrusted to us to the world, our own North American world and the whole world? And I don't think it's reconstituting all the same systems that got us to where we are. Uh, And so, as the mission unfolded, it got more and more entangled, I thought, in In behavior patterns and and decisions that were removing it from really being a cutting-edge mission. I mean, we used to hear this said, like, you know, we've started 17 new churches this month, and it would mean that we had gotten 17 churches that fell out of the Episcopal Church that month. It didn't mean that we had 17 new works of the gospel somewhere. So, I like the idea of it being a missionary movement, which had been my lobbying from the beginning, I thought NAMS could be the missionary el- element, and Bob could be the getting ready for the day that there's a, con- there's, there's, a, there's a new church, right? But that's not what happened. So, I just didn't think it could work to switch it. I just felt like there's too many men. By this time, I knew this quite well. I, I, I was Mr. Church Planting for a long time. It was really rare for me not to be involved one way or another in a true new Anglican or Episcopal church starting somewhere in America. I, I would know what was going on or teach or coach or visit. And I was aware now that the vast majority of people that were identifying with this breakaway thing called the Anglican Mission wanted their church back, and the mission element meant a lot less to them than the freedom to respectably get their church back, or try to get it respectably back. And so, I began to be really, really aware how many men, good men, men I care for um, still, who really wanted the church they'd always known. They just wanted a bishop who said his prayers and thought the gospel was true. You know, other than that, y- you can leave us alone, and we'll get on with the work. And the mission was attracting the, the Murphy used to call it the pirates, you know, um, the, the guys who never wanted to be submitted to anybody except their own idea of what God wanted them to do. And so there was a growing body, and it was very charismatic. And a lot of good men, good folks in the church, you know, could you calm that down a little bit, kind of. I just didn't think it would work, but I lost my temper when I was asked again to sign a daggone document that I couldn't read. I, Matt, am one of those guys that actually believes every word I promised when I got ordained a priest. I actually thought I gave my solemn vow to God and to the church to be faithful to what those words said.
2: And I mean, that the, was, the, the organization First Promise is kind of predicated on the idea
0: that... You, absolutely. <laughs> and I, I mean, I brought that to that table, and I, I, I prevailed at the table. And I was not talking about the 79 ordinal. I was really talking about Cranmer's ordinal, which had prevailed from 1550 to 1979. I mean, every Anglican priest in the world anglo-catholic bells and smells to the most even had been ordained with the same ordinal and that meant in my experience you could talk to a presbyter anywhere in the world and bring the conversation to the ordinal and you were talking to a brother who who in his heart felt that he was he was he knew it was submitted to that even if he might be in some tension with it he knew it that we were not there at all, and um, uh, so I, I just have an aversion, and I've learned it's very American now. It's worse with the digital universe. People will sign anything. They'll stand up, renew their vows, they'll raise their hand, they'll... And they don't... Yeah. They, they, they haven't really even understood what they said sometimes. And that had begun to happen. the, The difference between when Alden Hathaway asked me to take the initial founding leadership of the North American Missionary Society, he said to plant new Great Commission churches in the Anglican tradition, Anglican Episcopal tradition, to plant new Great Commission churches in that tradition. So I thought he meant, let's plant new Great Commission churches, and he meant, Another good solid Episcopal parish. And they're not mutually um, exclusive exclusive to one another, but if you put making disciples on the front burner and you really reorganize and re systematize so that the, the, the reality is with a clear definition of what you mean if you've made a disciple, what it looks like to have one. And them learning to make one, you are starting to create a very different ministry uh, context from the classic Episcopal Anglican parish anywhere in the world. And that caused real differences to start to erupt. And I think they came out finally in in 2009, but they were percolating so long before. We were, I keep saying we, but the Anglican mission, which I identified with by license, I was serving a parish that was in the mission by license, but my canonical uh, license was still in. We were the majority in Bedford. We were the overwhelming majority of the, of the churches represented. and, um, But right at the last minute, uh, the night before, the major moment of the Bedford Conference, Chuck brought all the Anglican Mission guys together, and he handed out um, a new piece of paper. Chuck was great to always put on a piece of paper what he wanted you to know, what he wanted you to learn, um, generally. And and I think it it was either green or yellow. It wasn't on white color. And it clarified that the Anglican Mission was a ministry partner. Of this new forming church, and that we were going to revisit that position in the, in the thing a year later. And that would be June of 2008. Were you at Bedford? I wasn't, no. Okay. I remember my intuition, maybe discernment, but certainly my intuition going, something's happened. There was just, I've known Chuck so long. I've known him most of my, knew him most of my life. And I I knew him. There was something in how he was presenting this to us that made me think there's been a change in Chuck. Something has changed. I don't know what. Uh, I think I've got my years wrong. It would be 2009 because ACOM, I mean, uh, Gafcon had been 2008. Right. um, Which I need to come back to. But um, so... I think it was at that time that a, a groundswell of clergy who were going to leave the mission began to talk with one another, on the corners of the rooms and in other time, times and conversations, um, because they were seeing they were seeing this was the culmination of their dream. We were going to have a province. We were going to have order, constitution canons positions, you know, all these things, diocese. And Chuck, for some reason, was, was, was trying to pull back a little bit. Now, that was validated for other pieces of the puzzle in time. I mean, there are still groups in ACNA that, in some ways, could decide tomorrow to not be ACNA. Uh, but at the time, it, it created... Um, I think, it, I think that's probably the, the tipping point for there's going to be a break, and it may have started in, in Jerusalem, because uh, in 2008, the mission, of course, had a lot of people there. Chuck asked me to go, but I had a missions conference in Beijing, and so it was go to China or go to the GAFCON, and I felt my calling was to go to China, so I went to China um, and wasn't in Jerusalem. But I think that my, my Reformation, counter-Reformation image is, I think, helpful. It may not be mm-hmm. perfect, but I, I think what was clearly happening in Jerusalem was a reconstituting of the received way we do things, the received faith, received order. I don't think there were voices in Jerusalem that were thinking like a lot of the voices in the Anglican mission. And so it was going to be a it was going to be a putting back in place, Anglican Orthodoxy, faith and order. The faith. And I was. Order I was there. That. I remember that. Yeah, no, it was, that was very. You're actually right. I mean, yeah.
2: I was there, uh, and, and I remember very clearly this idea of the, of, a, of a new province being floated, and not floated, but set out there like this is going to happen.
0: And we got to talk about that. Okay, well, at least that's how—that's what I remember from two thousand sure. and eight. Sure, it was when you said something like that. When I was just a listener, I thought I got to get on this podcast. Okay,
2: <laughs> well, I remember that, and I remember thinking, "Oh, wonderful!" And I and because and because I do think a lot of people there in, in two thousand and eight were thinking, "We have our own province; we can we can recreate an established institution." But I I, I also remember, like you say, there were some AMIA guys there. Who had a, had a very different flavor, the way they were talking and thinking, um, than I would say the majority. Uh, interesting yeah. guys. I mean, you know, devoted good guys. guys yeah, yeah, good guys. In yeah, lots good of guys. Ways. Right, but but I remember I, I was I was a co- I was on the governance committee to to put together the constitution for the ACNA, and I remember that that how the, how we work in the AMIA was one of the biggest hurdles to figuring out a a good workable, workable constitution.
0: Well, because we were such a big presence. I mean, it was, there were, and, and, and believe me, anyone that was on the inside knew how much funding was coming out of the world that the AMIA had influence in. It was an amazing amount of money. But, yeah, so the, the the a friend of mine, Albert Moeller, uh, not a friend, but I mean, uh, somebody I know, but I've heard Albert Moeller say everything is either theological or political. And in Jerusalem, both things were definitely in play. There was a lot of politics, and there was a lot of theology as well. So, I think that um, it was very difficult to see how this would have a good end, um, But I don't know who who would have put it that way at the time. Um, There were still serious efforts um, to hold us together and to find some way um, to make this work. But if the more you were inclined to being an established institutional loyalist, apart from your personal faith, the more you were quite content to serve and function with the 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 institutional package that was late 20th century Anglicanism or Episcopalianism, then the more Acna appealed to you. And the more you thought that God Almighty was trying to reform the church and that that was way bigger than the Anglican church and that that was calling for a revisiting of an enormous number of things that used to be settled but are not settled, the more that was you, the more what was happening in Jerusalem was like, do I want to go back to this? It, this feels, It felt to a lot of people like you're just putting me back in the Episcopal church. I don't want to be back there. I don't want to be in that system. I, I don't want to have it working that way because it didn't work well. I mean, that was a, that was a voice, right? But um, if it had, if, if, if there had been a closer if there'd been a way to bridge the breakdown between Chuck and Bob, it might have been possible. But, but at at some point, that breakdown it became the bridge was the bridge was in the river. It it there wasn't a bridge anymore. And why and how is debatable, I'm sure. Um, but it, it got caustic. It it got it got toxic. And um, so there there was an attempt to keep going uh, in that season but but everything was unraveling behind the scenes and the one thing that any good leader doesn't want to happen is a lot of things going on that he doesn't know about <laughs> and um and so at some point finally in 2011 i think um it was um clear that there was a huge group inside the Anglican mission preparing to not go with Chuck and um, to, to, to go over, you know, somehow get out from under Chuck. And then, of course, that would be that wave of Anglican mission that temporarily came under Rwanda, the Rwanda that knew not Joseph, the Rwanda that didn't know Chuck, the Rwanda that didn't know us First Promise guys, the Rwanda that hadn't been a part of that journey. Pair, I think it was called. Yeah, uh, Pair USA. Yeah, it's Pair. Pair USA was formed, and and it got formed like one day or two days after several of the key bishops resigned from the Council of Bishops. Yeah. Uh, so it looked for because- all the wor- world like it would it had been planned. I mean, you don't leave one organization and have a new one two days later if you haven't been working on that. Yeah. And most of the people working on that were people that had separated with ACNA. Um, and a lot of what happened in Jerusalem were people that didn't like the mission and, and didn't like Chuck and didn't have the same vision for the future. Um, and that would apply to me. There, were, there mm-hmm. were key leaders in Jerusalem who would probably say, he's a great guy, but don't let him near what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Bob, uh, Bill Atwood would, would be one of those. Um, and um, so, yeah, it's a it, it's human beings, it's sin, it's misunderstandings, It's different visions. Uh, it's different understandings of the moment. Uh, but it got awfully, awfully horrid. I, I've never, uh, it's the worst 2011 yeah. 2012 are the worst two years of my yeah profession. i mean it started so hopefully and then yeah. 1998 and- i like to say that that what we were trying to do was so important that the hosts of hell were let loose to come at us mm, mm. and I remember and, and we're very successful
2: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean the 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 letter and i'm not sure if i'm getting my time uh, miss uh, misconstrued but i remember a letter from the amia and it was it was describing rwanda as egypt and and the need for the amia that it was, AMIA. was very
0: AMIA. offensive to many, yeah. many people
2: yeah rwanda was Egypt. uh uh chuck murphy's moses and and we're leaving through the parting of the red sea that god is giving us this way out yeah. and i thought Oh, man, this is is so far.
0: Major mistake of of, of trying to find a biblical metaphor or a biblical image. Yeah, terrible mistake. I look back and wonder, because I was away from, I, I left, Cynthia and I left to start the church in Charleston, Charlotte, in August of 2000, and we did not move back until January of 2012. So we were gone for 12 years from living close, and Chuck would of course in time develop a, a, a very aggressive um, glioblastoma of the brain. And I actually suspicion that the Chuck I knew for mm. 30 years was ceasing to be the Chuck mm. that was functioning even though no one had any idea that anything was wrong with him but he was making decisions in the last few years that were very strange to me in the light of my experience of him as a brother in Christ and a, and a friend. And um, when I lived here and before there were bishops, you know, I always had his ear. I always had his ear. We could always talk. We talked almost every day, uh, but that had disappeared. And so I I, I don't, I've, I would definitely fault that um, w- what was clear Was that, and what very few people will acknowledge is that the 2006 Charter of the Anglican Mission declared that when the time was right, we would separate from Rwanda Hmm. and be a missionary society uh, in North America. Hmm. And that when that separation started to happen, it was consistent with the Constitution, it was consistent with everything that had happened to that point. But it was absolutely not understood by the House hmm. of Bishops and the primate in Rwanda at the time. Hmm. Kalini had just stepped down. A new, a new archbishop had been chosen. And there's a whole lot of story there, too. Um, and the, the whole way that the mission had been treated and cared for and nurtured instantly changed. And um, there were four bishops, new bishops uh, out of nine. There was a new archbishop and four new bishops. And several of the new bishops were very, very strong men. I mean, with very dominating, very, very uh, influential personalities, um, several of whom had come from other parts of the world to return to to Rwanda to be made bishops. And um, there was a meeting, Mission would send a, a couple of its bishops to every quarterly bishops meeting in Rwanda. And there was a, there was a meeting in, I think, I think it was 2011. I'm pretty sure it was 2011. There was a meeting in May of 2011. And um, everything that had been prevailing for all the meetings with the House of Bishops over there under Kalini, everything that had been normal was changed hmm.
2: Hmm.
0: and uh, four people at, at the mission's expense had gone to that um, gathering of the bishops and had been refused uh, time to discuss anything. Oh, wow. And so they sat through um, they sat through a, a, as, as something radically different started happening than anything that had brought them to that point. And um, on the way to the airport that day, Collini um, drove Chuck to the airport, um, and he said, "Chuck, the time has come to separate." Oh, um, wow. that and was that cool. was in that was in the 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 charter that was the, that where I had erupted because the canons were in French, <laughs> um, and so it was Collini, the just retired Archbishop, under whose authority everything had been done he said yes we did it he said no we didn't it was uh, chuck never hmm. was not submitted to kalini's authority not like, wow. ever and that day relationally that that same dynamic was obeyed and honored it wasn't like chuck went well, wait a minute, Kalini's not the Archbishop. So we're now. leaving. <laughs> so, so we're going to ask to be released because it's in, you know, and it was said it could come from us or it could come from Rwanda. Hmm.
1: Hmm.
0: So it was not contrary to what all of us had been asked to sign. Hmm. But I don't think there was one man in a hundred that had any idea that what Chuck did we said, it would happen someday. And the word that went out was, he won't submit to Rwanda. He wants us to submit to him, but he won't submit to them.
2: Right, well, I don't think anybody knew the, of the Kalini angle to
0: that yeah. story. It's, it's um, a huge yeah. one. And, and right. it's a huge one because the man that dominated that meeting of bishops had wanted to be the primate uh, when Kalini was chosen uh, and had carried a grudge against Collini, and now was not chosen a second time, but because he had good English and he had contacts in North America, the the much more francophone new primate depended on him like his right-hand man, and, and, and that bishop ran the bishop's meeting. So, a kind of old enmity with Collini and um, the ascendance of, of, of a man um, who was definitely not encouraging the direction the mission was going, um, but was very happy to encourage the direction ACNA went. That's fascinating. Um, But what got said was not true. There were many things that were not told. Chuck Murphy had one great failing, in my opinion. Maybe it's a a grace, but Chuck had a saying, I won't make my reputation on another man's back.
1: Hmm.
0: Hmm. And, And what he meant was, um, even if somebody did him dirty, he would not defend himself. Hmm. He, he would not come back out and say what what John Schuler just said is not true. Hmm. Hmm. And this is why. And, and, and get that out. He would just Shuler to said it, and he he would just keep going. Uh, we, we would playfully in the good days, we used to say, he can take more spit wads and keep going <laughs> forward than any guy I've ever known. But it's but it started to be, you know, arrows and then it started to be bullets, then it started to be bazookas. Yeah. <laughs> and in that season in that season there are things that there are still men alive who know firsthand happened uh, that have never been spoken. And I'm not one of those men. I've just heard them tell uh, things. And that the reasons for trying to separate were deeply real. But it, but it became the, you know, and, and yeah. by then, by then, back, this goes all the way to Jerusalem. By then, the for- province got formed, and the word went out around the world that the primates had asked for it.
2: Hmm.
0: And that's not true.
2: Hmm.
0: There was never any action where the primates were asked to make a decision about that, mm. and they voted to do it. But the message that came out of Jerusalem with the guys almost to a man who were very separated now from Chuck Murphy and the Anglican Mission was, the primates have asked us to form a province. Mm. And so, it, 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 it came out that they were doing what the Orthodox primates of the world wanted done, and Anglican mission was not happy with it. And that's, uh, that's a spin on partial truths, but it's not really the, the, the full story. But it is what it is. It happened, and a province did get formed. And the bulk of the Orthodox Anglican world reluctantly, one way or another, are coming Mm. to acknowledge it. (laughs) And it seems to me they are more and more likely to have parted with Canterbury forever, but that hasn't actually happened. Um, But it's been a very American-led thing. It's been a very American-funded thing. It's been a very and most of the early involvement in it were people that had animosity and, and issues with the mission, and particularly with Chuck. And so some of that is still yeah. alive in a, in a, in a, and has to die or be forgiven in ways that hasn't happened. But, um, yeah, so...
2: That's, I mean, it's, just, it's fascinating. I mean, thank you. <laughs> I, I have Nick, Nick learned not, so much. This is,
0: way, this is way more than one more podcast. That oh, yeah, talk, yeah. Well,
2: you can probably split it up a little bit. Thank you. I mean, this is like... All right,
0: sorry day. to take all this time. No, no, buddy. I really appreciate it. It's been super I hard. appreciate you. And right. I really mean it. I admire the heck out of what you've done. Yeah, all right. Well, <laughs> I better God go. bless you, man. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Blessings. Bye-bye.
1: Well, there is part two of our Stand Firm conversation with Dr. John Schuler. As you may have noticed, I was called away from the podcast about halfway through. Uh, but thanks to Matt Kennedy for ably finishing up on his own. As always, you can keep the conversation going by being in touch with us, rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thanks to Matt Kennedy and J.D. Koch. And who knows, one day soon we may all be able to be on the podcast at the same time. A special thanks, of course, to John Shuler for being so generous with his time. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Oh, 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 oh,